God, you are great. You are you are so far beyond what we can even understand that great is the word that we use to describe you, but you alone are great. God, forgive us when we think that our ideas are greater than yours or our plans are greater than yours or our technology or the way that we think. We're surrounded by a world that tells us that you're outdated and old-fashioned, and God, you are so not. You are so ever-present. You are You are so here with us, and you truly are so great. And so, God, forgive us when we think that we are. Forgive us when we are trying to sing our own praises or toot our own horns when what we should be doing is lifting you up and giving you thanks for who you are. So, God, we take time now, and on Sunday mornings we gather, we're reminded of who you are and and truly of how great you are. And, And we are encouraged to go out and spend our weeks, spend our days, spend our time living for you. And God, I pray that you would bless us with that again this morning, that through your Holy Spirit you would encourage us and grow us in our faith of you and as followers of your Son, Jesus. In his name, amen. You may be seated. Aerobics for a few of you now. Now that you're all sitting down. I know this is the last group to ask this question of, but if you are a veteran of our armed forces, would you stand Please, I know you guys don't like to, you women don't like to, but would you please so we can thank you. Everybody look around. We owe these folks an incredible debt of gratitude. Thank you. Thank you. I've learned over the years that I have to ask like three times really fast because you men and women just don't want that recognition. But uh, we want to thank you. We, we take you and what you have done for us very seriously around here. Uh, if you've got your journals with you, if you've got your Bibles, we're in Acts 9. We're continuing, we're continuing this time that's happening somewhere outside of Jerusalem. And we've met this man named Simon, and now we've met this guy named Philip. And what we're going to look at today is what can happen when you and I are willing to be obedient to the voice of God in our lives. People ask all the time, well, how do you know that it's God? Well, that's, that's a hard thing to do. How do you know that it's your friend on the phone when they call and they don't give you their name? Well, you know because you spend time with them. You know their voice. You know how they talk. You can tell if they're distressed. You can tell if they're excited. And knowing the voice of God comes the same way. We just have to spend time with them. That's what prayer is all about. So what happens when we're obedient to the voice of God? I, I said obedient. Now, I didn't say you have to understand Because we're not always going to understand. I I didn't say that we have to agree because there's times that God calls us to do things out of obedience that we don't like. And when we choose not to, it's called sin. And and then there's even things that, that we just simply don't want to do. We say, God, send someone else to do that. Not me. I'm not the right person. I'm not the right guy. I'm not the right woman. I don't know the Bible well enough. I haven't known you long enough. But as Christians, there is something that God does expect. He doesn't expect us to always understand. doesn't expect us to always agree. doesn't expect us to always like. God does expect us to always obey. And as Christians, we don't have the excuse of saying, I didn't know. Because God, God's word makes it so clear. So we're picking up in this book of Acts where the the believers have been scattered because of persecution out of Jerusalem. And the Christian church, God is using this persecution to carry the good news of Jesus out to places that it had not reached yet. And so we, we encounter this man named Simon who is in an area called Samaria. And the Samaritans begin to come to faith. But these early Christians, these men and women, just like you and I, they weren't supermen and superwomen. They were, they were normal people. They're being scattered throughout the Middle East. 
And rather than running in fear, rather than acting like refugees, they chose to take this opportunity to act like missionaries. And they're doing exactly what Stephen was was killed for doing, exactly what Jesus was killed for doing. And that was for preaching a message that some people didn't want to hear. So we, we meet this guy named Philip. And Philip is having tremendous success in this area called Samaria. He is seeing people by the hundreds, and I have to imagine the thousands, coming to faith, believing and being baptized. His message is bringing tremendous success for the kingdom of God. And then something happens. He gets a message, and he's got to make a decision, just like you and I have to make many, many times a day. Am I going to know that this is the voice of God speaking to me and do something about it, or am I going to ignore it and, and say that it was bad chili? Because we do that, right? We come up with all kinds of reasons why it wasn't really God. Surely that wasn't God. Here's what happens. Starting in verse 26 of Acts 9. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Now I realize if you go and tell your friends an angel of the Lord appeared to me, they're going to tell you that you're probably crazy. But, you know, God speaks to us in so many different ways. And in this instance, God sent an angel of the Lord and he said to Philip, rise and go to the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. Jerusalem is the big city. It's the city on a hill and it's surrounded by desert. Do we have a slide? I think that we've got a slide. So Jerusalem is, is uh, you see Bethlehem, see where it says Judea? Just above that is Bethlehem. Just a little bit up to the right is Jerusalem. And then there's this area called Gaza. It's still the Gaza Strip today. There's a lot of fighting. When the missiles get launched from Gaza into Jerusalem, that's where they still are coming from. That's where he's being sent. So somewhere between Jerusalem and Gaza is where he had been. And God says through this angel, Go to the south, to the road that goes from Jerusalem to Gaza. And Luke adds, it's a desert place. It's important to understand that because we don't live in a desert place. If you've been to the uh, the Arizona desert, maybe that's the closest that you can get to understand it. But there's actually some vegetation there. There's not a lot of green in this part of the world. We've been there. There's really just brown colors and dirt and rocks. And Philip is being told by this angel to go to this desert place in the midst of this great revival. All of these people are coming to faith. Things are going so well, it makes no sense whatsoever that God would send an angel to to remove Philip from that incredible situation and send him down to this desert place, much less in the midst of all this persecution. And yet he says, leave the crowds, Philip. Leave where your message is being heard and people are responding. Leave where there is great fruit being shown for your ministry. And go to this desert place. And that's all all that the angel tells him. This place is more known for robbers than revivals. No one would choose to go there if you didn't have to. But sometimes God sends us where we least expect and asks of us the things that we would mostly like not to do. And really, it's an opportunity for God to share his word with someone who hasn't heard it. And it's opportunity for us to grow in faith. The question is, will you listen? Will you go? My guess is, if you've been walking with Jesus for very long, you have stories just like I do in my life. When I knew what God was calling me to do, knew who I was supposed to talk to, knew who I was supposed to reach across the aisle and and have a conversation with. And for whatever reason, I said no. And I bet you've got those too. 
So the question is, as we're preparing, because we had talked about so much of what's important here is that we need to be prepared for persecution. Are we prepared to talk about Jesus? See, God sometimes prompts us to leave what we think is a sure thing in order to carry us to a God thing. But see, we like the sure thing. We like when everything's working out. We like when the bills are getting paid and life is easy. But it's in those moments, and that's kind of where Philip was, that God sent this angel and said, Philip, rise and go. So in verse 27, he rose and he went. He went from what he understood, what he knew, what was comfortable. He went from the sure thing to the God thing. So, so immediately Philip gets up and he goes. He doesn't ask any question. There's no question. If Luke records the words of an angel, surely Luke is going to record Philip's objection. But there isn't one listed. So what is obedience then? Obedience is acting without coming up with reasons why not to. That's what we do, right? We come up with excuses. We come up with excuses and justifications, and yet godly obedience is doing what God tells us to do without coming up with reasons why we don't have to. Obedience is doing. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of her treasure. Did you get all that? Did you understand exactly what this guy represents? God sends Philip from the crowds to one man. A guy from another country, another continent, another culture, and another language. He served a queen that Philip had never met. And it's the queen of Ethiopia, not the Ethiopia that you and I know now. This is actually a country called Nubia. It's on the upper end of the Nile River. It was a different Ethiopia in northern Africa. And so this guy somehow is north of his home country, but south of Philip's home country. And so this queen, Candace, it says, Candace is actually a title. Uh, it, it was a title like in Egypt, we understand them to be pharaohs. Pharaohs are kings. Candace is a queen. It's a title, not a name. There's a different name for this woman. But history actually records when they lay the time frame out that this particular queen, Candace, her tomb still exists in the world today. Real person, real history that actually happened. This isn't a story. This is one of those things you can only call a God moment. We talk around here about God setting divine appointments. And when we're willing to be obedient, God sets divine appointments for his people. This for Philip is a divine appointment. He leaves the sure thing and he has no idea what's going to happen. But this divine appointment would not have occurred without Philip's obedience. And we need to remember that. We don't always understand the why. But when God talks to us, we need to understand the who. And the question is, are we going to be obedient to that call? So it says that he had come to Jerusalem to worship. More than likely, what had happened, and the Bible doesn't lay this out exactly, but we can kind of look at the time frame that's been happening. More than likely, Queen Candace took this trusted official, the guy that was in charge of all of the money of the country, and sent her to Jerusalem because she'd heard about this Jesus guy. And he'd gone up and he'd been a part of all of the, the festivities and the celebration. He may have been there on that, that Sunday that Jesus rode in that we call Palm Sunday. And he was probably around for the crucifixion. And he probably saw this thing happening that didn't make any sense because it didn't line up with what he had read in the Bible. Because we find out that he's reading from the Old Testament that, as we understand it. But the Bible says he went there to worship. And what he had seen and what he had heard and what he had been a personal witness to, he had to have been more confused than he ever was. And who in the world was going to help him understand the events that he had just been through? 
Verse 28 says, and he was returned and seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. He's going back to Queen Candace, and he's going to have to explain what occurred in his absence. He's going to have to explain what it was that happened. And so this part of Isaiah 53, it starts in verse 7. Isaiah is prophesying about the coming Messiah, and Isaiah does a lot of that. And so this guy's going back from the events that he'd just seen and said, well, what did the prophet say was going to happen, and how does it match up? And so we have to realize behind the scenes what's going on here is the Holy Spirit is blessing the ministry of Philip because people are coming to faith, they're repenting, and they're being baptized. In the midst of all of it, an angel comes to Philip and says, go down, go to the south, go to this desert place. Doesn't explain why, but the Holy Spirit is working on this official from a country in northern Africa, and the Holy Spirit is working on this man named Philip. And God brings them together. And in verse 12, it says, And the Spirit said to Philip, Go over and join this chariot. Now, on this road, this, this place that's more known for robbers than revivals, Philip's got to be thinking, This isn't going to go well because that's an expensive chariot. Surely there are people that are going to take me out before I even get close. But at this point, Philip has left everything that he thought he was supposed to be doing. He's all in. So he's going to do exactly what it is that God calls him to do. In the middle of Robber's Road, he's going to approach a a chariot from a foreign official. So in verse 30, it says this. And so Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet. And he asked, do you understand what you're reading? So Philip now, you got to get this, this Middle Eastern guy runs up to the chariot of a North African guy, who, which is obviously going to be a very, very wealthy-looking chariot. He's probably a very well-dressed guy. He runs up to him in the middle of his road, and Philip now, this Middle Eastern man, is in long robes, probably two of them. Possibly his outer cloak is sleeveless, but the inner one has full-length sleeves. He's got sandals on, not running shoes. He doesn't have running clothes. He's probably not a young man in his fittest years. And he's running alongside this chariot, and in his... His heavy breath says, do you understand what you're reading? I mean, you hear me talk about movies all the time, how I see movies in my mind when I read the Bible. This is a good movie. But he's still running beside the chariot. And the man says, how can I unless someone guides me? That's the question, isn't it? That's discipleship. How do we know how to be a follower of Jesus unless someone shows us? How do we know how to read the Bible and to put it in, into practice in our lives unless someone shows us? How do we know how to pray unless someone shows us? He, mo- he asked the most obvious question, but it's the one that we overlook all the time. This is discipleship, folks. How can I unless someone guides me? So, so think about it for a moment. Who has God called you to run alongside or walk alongside or journey alongside To help them understand what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Because you've got those people. Maybe you haven't identified them. Maybe you haven't yet been obedient in coming alongside them. But I'll tell you what, if you believe in Jesus, God has brought that person into your life. Who is that person? Who are those people that God has called you to run alongside or to walk alongside in order to help them understand how to put the words of the Bible into practice and action in their life? Now, it doesn't matter necessarily whether they're going to listen to you. What matters is whether you are going to listen to God. Are you going to be obedient in that call? And so you hear me say this quite often. You may be the one person that God puts in someone's life to explain who his son Jesus is and what he's done for someone. 
Maybe they've just surrounded themselves with so many people who are so against God that you're the one. You're the one who has the privilege of explaining that. What does it mean to repent and to follow Jesus? There's an old song, and Deidre found this one for me. You may be the only Bible some people read. You may be the only Jesus some people see. Suddenly that becomes kind of a, a heavy weight. What if that's true? You can say, well, you stand up there and you preach and you tell us what we're supposed to believe. No, I don't. I tell you what God says. You have to choose to be obedient and choose to believe it. And then there's other people who are out there who are one or two steps removed who know you go to church, but they're not at a point where they're ready to do that yet. So they're looking for you to help them understand what it is you're learning and what it means. Goes on and finally he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. The whole time, Philip has been running alongside this chariot. He hasn't been a a part of the action from the inside. Philip's been on the outside while this guy is asking questions. And and as Christians, it doesn't get much better than this. When when I spent the first many years of of full-time ministry, I was an outreach and evangelism pastor. And I learned that the best way to have a conversation about Jesus was to say something that, that would get someone else to ask a question. Because the moment they asked a question, now they've got to sit for the answer. And it's really as simple that as simple as that is engaging someone in conversation. And so this for Philip is one of those awesome moments that we look for as Christians. Philip gets to ride on the inside of a royal chariot alongside the queen's official and tell him all about his King Jesus. But we get those opportunities, too, if we're willing to take them. And it goes on in verse 32, and it says the passage of Scripture he was reading was this. Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, as like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. Go back to the events of the last few days of Jesus' life. This matches up awful closely, doesn't it? In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. He saw Jesus die, and he didn't understand why. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or someone else? Is the prophet talking about his own life or is he talking about someone else? He asked a question and he gave Philip the opportunity to respond. And then Philip opened his mouth and beginning with the scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. He he did that wonderful thing where he asked a question. And Philip was prepared to respond. This is one of those examples that my dad would call a teachable moment. And as Christians, we really have opportunities for teachable moments all the time if we're open to them and if we're looking for them. But let's take a step back and and ask the simple question. What do you do? What do you say? What do you speak when you open your mouth? When it's your turn to talk, what do you talk about? What comes out? Do people hear you talk about Jesus? Are you one of those people who can bring Jesus into every conversation? Or do you talk about yourself? Do you talk about how great you are and the awesome thing you just did and the fabulous meal and the great trip and you can go on and on and on because you know a lot about you? Do you talk about you or do you talk about Jesus? Maybe you're one of those people that's always talking about COVID or the vaccine or the president or the, oh, the former president or however you feel about all that. Maybe you use your moments to gossip and to grumble and to complain. Or maybe you speak life into the people around you because you speak about Jesus. See, it's one of those things where you've got the choice. Do you talk about other people or do you talk about Jesus? 
It's one of those moments that we have all the time. Maybe you're the one person who loves Jesus so much that everybody knows you. You are that one friend that everybody knows that when they talk to you, somehow or another, you're going to bring it around to him in the hope that you have. Maybe you're that person. But what do people hear when you open your mouth? And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? Obviously, Philip had gotten to the part in the Jesus story about repenting and being baptized, that we put our faith and hope and trust in Jesus, we, we confess and repent our sins, and then we're baptized. That's what we teach around here. This guy from another country that didn't understand any of this stuff realized the importance of obedience because Philip said, this is what you do when you become a believer. And the other thing that we can't step away from here is they're in a desert. The one thing that is very, very rare in a desert is what? Water. And so if you think that God's not going to give you the words or if you think God's not going to give you anything and everything that you need when you step out in obedience, whether that's faith or finances or words or whatever it is, God will even provide water in the middle of a desert at the opportune moment. If you and I went to those deserts, because I've been there, I didn't see a well where, there, where we didn't know there was one advertised. It isn't like there's a river just running through every couple of miles. In this moment where Philip got to the point of being baptized, there was water. That was not a coincidence. That was a God-ordained moment. And the official commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. This man understood the importance of obedience. He didn't ask the queen for permission. He didn't say, you know, I want to stop and think about it. I want to pray about it for a year or two. He said, there's water. What would prevent me? See, this is why we celebrate baptisms around here as such a big deal, because we understand the importance of being obedient to the commands of Jesus. When someone says, I'm ready to be baptized, that's a big deal. There's a lot of thought, a lot of prayer, a a, a whole lot that goes into making that decision. Some people think about it for years before they do it, but we realize that it's being obedient to one of the commands of Jesus. Verse 39, and when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. He was rejoicing. The eunuch was rejoicing because joy follows wherever Jesus is preached. In this case, Philip also was realizing persecution, but for this eunuch, because because Philip was obedient, there was joy. So God calls Philip away from something that is incredibly successful. And it was working really well to a place that Philip didn't know and could only trust that God had some kind of a plan that would direct his reason for being there. Philip didn't ask questions. He simply did what he was told. He was obedient. He didn't understand why God called him somewhere else, but he knew and he trusted that God did understand why. One of the hardest lessons for me to learn, one of the hardest lessons for you as a Christian to learn is this. Is not having to have all the answers, but trusting in the God who has all the answers. It's easy to say, I don't know if I can afford it, or I've never been there, or I don't speak the language, or that makes me uncomfortable, or I don't like that person, or they've been mean to me. But you know what? When God calls us to something, God also takes care of everything else that we need. God isn't going to call you to the desert and leave you without water. See, sometimes God calls us to things we don't completely understand because if we did understand it, we might run away. We might say, no way. If we understood the full scope of his plan, we might say, there's no way I would ever be a part of that. Now, in all fairness, when we started the Open Door 
11 and a half years ago, we had a building that sat 100 people if it was completely full. And if God had said, oh, by the way, in just 11 years, here's what's going to happen. I think I would have said no way. And my guess is the same is true for you, that if you are only willing to say yes, God reveals his plan in steps and bits and in pieces. And at every one of those steps, we have another opportunity to say yes or to say no way. And when we say no, when we say yes, God provides everything we need. When we say no way, God uses another way, which is another person. See, God doesn't usually tell us all the pieces of his plan. What God does tell us to do is to trust in his plan. God tells us to trust in his way and then believe that through the Holy Spirit, he's going to give us everything we need to carry it out. And I wonder if God at work in our world doesn't look a little bit like some of you are quilters. I wonder if it doesn't look like a big quilt. I wonder if God at work in our world doesn't look like a big quilt where all together you understand the purpose, you understand what it does, you understand the artistry and the work and the effort and all the little things that go into it. But each little patch and you and I, we're just one little patch. We don't see all the time that bigger picture. And I wonder if God at work in the world isn't a little bit like a quilt where we're just called to be a small piece of the larger story that God is writing in his church. See, now because of Philip's obedience, because he said yes without asking any questions, the treasurer to the queen of Ethiopia heard the good news of Jesus, believed and was baptized. Guess what happened next? He went home and the queen said, so tell me what happened. He goes, you are not going to believe what happened. That Jesus guy you sent me to find out about, they killed him. They, they hung him on a cross as a criminal and they killed him. And then three days later, the word goes out that God raised him from the dead and he's alive again. I don't get it. But that's what happened because I was there. And then the really crazy thing is I'm on the way back and I'm out in the middle of the desert just north of home. And this old guy comes running up beside the chariot and strikes up a conversation. And because Philip was faithful and obedient, the queen of Ethiopia heard the good news of Jesus. And we talked about how the Holy Spirit is beginning to spread around the world. And the Holy Spirit just jumped from Jerusalem into North Africa. And here we are 2,000 years later, and we're a part of all of that. So it makes me wonder how God will use us for his purpose, how God will use this place if we're faithful and obedient and generous, if we're willing to be like Philip and put God and his call on us ahead of our hopes and wants and dreams of our own and say, God, you know what? We want to work with you. We don't want to work apart from you or on our own. And it's begun, you know, and... We said yes. We've said yes along the way a number of times. And I look back after 11 years and God has led us here. We didn't choose it. God has led us here. He didn't lead us to the desert. He led us to this place. And now one of the things that I'm more certain of than ever before is that because those little steps that, that we've been obedient and, and despite the times that we made decisions that probably were ours that we shouldn't have and we move forward and God has brought us to this place. And we know more than ever, I am convinced more than ever, that when we talk about changing the culture in this area for Jesus, those opportunities are happening more and more every day. So, so it's already begun. It isn't a matter of what if. It's that God already has. And, and I pray that as a church, we continue to be obedient to God's call on us, that we're unselfish and that we're obedient, just like Philip was, because then God can use us, you and I in our church, in ways that we could never imagine. 
And so I wonder, I wonder what the history that God is writing here will read like. I, I, I wonder what it is that it will say. I wonder who we will reach. I wonder who will change the culture. I wonder how it is that God is going to bring people to our paths. And it isn't just mine. Don't think that. It's yours as well. How is God going to bring people to you that you're going to be able to talk about Jesus to become a part of this great quilt that God is making in this place? See, Philip, one guy, said yes, and he helped change the culture in Samaria and throughout what we now understand as Israel all the way into northern Africa, and he wasn't done. And so I wonder, who will we become? Who will you become in our obedience? See, it's that hope. It's that possibility. It's that unknown but trusting in God that gets me up and excited and, and, and just fills me with the passion for the work that we get to do in this place. This church that we get to create, this church that we get to be a part of, that God has called us to, we get to be obedient in the name of Jesus. Not for what we want, but what for what God wants from us. And God is inviting every single one of us, you and I, to be a Philip in our own way. God is inviting us to be a part of his work through this place. The question is this. Will you say yes, or will you come up with a reason why your answer is no? Because we get the opportunity to choose. But like Philip, who said yes without understanding what was going to happen, he got to be a part of one of the coolest God moments in the Bible. I had a mentor years ago, and he called that the privilege of ministry. When we say yes and we're willing to follow God, we have the privilege of being a part of something in ministry we could have never created on our own. That's what Philip got to experience. That's what you get to experience when you're willing to say yes. It is my prayer in this place that we have a congregation full of people that are excited about saying yes to God. I really, really hope you'll be one of them. Let's pray. God, thank you for Philip. Thank you for his obedience. Thank you for the way that he did what he couldn't understand, that he, he was willing to follow the direction of that angel who he most certainly hadn't met before that and to do what you called him to do. And God, the, the moment that you brought to him that that incredible moment in the desert of all places where he got to talk about Jesus because that was his passion. He got to talk about Jesus and he got to be a part of baptizing a man from another country who was hearing it and understanding the good news for the first time. God, we can have those moments too. We can be a part of a church that has those moments too. Because you bring us those opportunities. You open those doors for us. And God, you have invited us to be a part of this great movement that you are about in our world today. I just pray that we say yes. That we don't look for all the answers and we don't need to know your whole plan, but that we're willing to be obedient and say yes to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Here's the kind of terrifying thing about obedience. All of us are called to be obedient to God. But God gives us the choice to choose to or choose not to. God gives us the choice to say yes or no. And when God calls us to do something, it can be a little thing or it can seem like just the huge, most huge thing in the world. We have one of two answers. We either say, I will or I won't. When we say I will, every time that I've said I will, I have never once regretted it. Didn't always understand it, wasn't always looking forward to it. But never once do I, have I ever said I wish I wouldn't have. When I say I won't and I've done it just like you have, I have regretted every one of those. Because I realize that when we follow God in obedience, we're the ones that get blessed. God does amazing things out there, and we get that privilege of ministry to be a part of it. But at the end of the day, we're just we're a part of the quilt. 
And God is doing so much around us, and he invites us to be a part of the awesome things that he does. When God calls you, when God's Holy Spirit pushes on your heart, please, please, please be really careful before you say, I won't. Because when you say you will, you've got the beginning of a testimony you'll tell everybody who will listen.